And as I begin, uh, let's pray. Lord, I pray that only the truth will be spoken, only the truth will be heard, and nothing but the truth thought about this morning. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, I've brought along the newspaper that came out um, on in January 2020. It's from the Anglican Journal. And that's the headline, Gone by 2040. And it's funny how that, that headline haunts me. And um, I, I want to address the, the problem right now, and that's that not enough people are, are hearing from God. Not enough people are being called from God. So this morning, we have um, three different examples for you to think about. Uh, one is Isaiah, the other is Paul, and uh, of course, the, the third is Simon Peter in the, in the boat. And, but each, each one of them was in a, in a time of, of peril, a time where they're, they'd lost hope, really. And Jesus spoke to each one of them and uh, brought them back into, into thinking about what they needed to do. So um, I just want to talk to you about that. And I, I, I want to bring it into, into, into perspective and um, by a pop quiz. So if you are afraid to tell your friends and neighbors you're a Christian for fear that they may laugh at you, click yes or no. Or have you told anybody about your Lord and friend Jesus? Not lately, not for at least a month, or maybe never. Does it seem to you that the story of the people of God is in need of refreshment, in need of updating? Yes or no? That the message is outdated, that the plan of God seems to have hit a roadblock? Yes or no? God needs some help to sort things out, to get things back on track. And then you could be the person. If you answered yes to these questions, it might be that you're in need of a 100,000-mile spiritual inspection. If you answered yes to these questions, it might be that you've never come to the place where you had a conversation with God about your calling. Here's what I believe happened in the past and needs to happen in the today. In fact, in churches which are alive in the Holy Spirit, this is happening today, and they're growing. First, you just need to believe. Believe that God is and that he's more powerful, more beautiful, more loving than you are. That's a problem for the ego, isn't it? Here's a story of God's call to Isaiah. So it's this vision that Isaiah has at the beginning, the pivots of the threshold are shaking at the voices who's, who's, uh, fill and, uh, who called, and smoke filled the house. And, and Isaiah said, woe is me. Woe is me seems to be an understatement, <laughs> don't you think? Like he's in this earthquake zone, and the prophet is having a vision that not, oh, that's not only very vivid, but also very frightening. Everything is immense. The hem of the Lord's robe fills the temple. 
There are seraphs with multiple wings, shouting and trembling and shaking in fire. And in all this, the prophet realizes that he's not only privy to the most amazing sights and sounds, but that he's also seen, seen the King of Kings, the Lord of hosts. And the prophet knows that to see God face to face invites death. He feels afraid and hopeless. There are two kinds of fear in God's word. The Bible says, do not be afraid of what's happening in the world. Instead, trust in the Lord your God. But at the same time, the Bible urges us to fear the Lord or fear God, for that is the beginning of wisdom. So here we are in this vision, and there are seraphs flying around, and the seraphs called to one another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of, of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the house is all filled with smoke. And Isaiah said, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And yet my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to Isaiah, and holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. And the seraph touched Isaiah's mouth with a hot coal and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed, and your sin is blotted out. You know, earlier we were saying, um, asking God for forgiveness. And that's what happens when you, um, when you ask God for forgiveness. Your guilt has departed from you and your sin is blotted out. And I want to stop right there. Do you see what, what happens? Isaiah is acknowledging two things. First, that he's unclean, that he's not holy, that compared to God, he's unworthy. And not only that, he's one of many who is unworthy. We're all unworthy. We are all nothing when compared with God. We are a people with unclean lips. And when you stand in God's presence, you know that you're unworthy. And second, that God is totally holy, totally worthy, totally wonderful, totally without sin. We need to come to the place in our lives where we know who we are and we know who God is. We need to come to the place in our lives where we're prepared to put God first in our lives. Why? Because you and I, we're mere mortals. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not powerful. You're not the creator. You're not the king of kings. Neither am I. But God is the one who is perfect. God is the one who's all powerful. God is the one who created everything. God is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the savior. He's the one who can forgive all your sins. God alone. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And isn't it interesting that as soon as Isaiah recognizes who God is, holy, 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 and who he is, Isaiah, a man of unclean lips, God calls. Whom shall I send to these difficult people? And without hesitation, Isaiah answers, here am I. He doesn't know what God is asking him to do specifically. He doesn't understand what he's going to what it's going to take to accomplish the, the task. All he knows is this: 
God has called him to listen to God, to obey God, to hang on and allow God to work through him. And that's the beginning of being able to be useful to God, you and I, when we recognize that we need to obey God. St. Paul was probably the greatest evangelist the world has ever known. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15, we hear, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. And last of all, he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, to one to as one untimely born, he appeared to Paul also. And Paul says, for I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul isn't displaying false modesty here. He actually means what he says. He's the least of the apostles. Paul was a man who thought that he knew God. He thought that he knew what God required of us. Paul held, um, held those who did not work hard for God, for reforming the church, in contempt. But of course, he had a rude awakening. This is Paul's autobiography, as he declares in, in Acts. I studied under Gamaliel. He, so he, he was the top teacher in Israel at the time. It's a bit like going to Harvard University. And <laughs> so I studied under Gamaliel. I was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as jealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death. That's the way is, of course, people who have found Jesus. I followed, uh, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison as the high priest and all the council themselves could testify. And then he was on his way to Damascus with a legal paper allowing him to arrest whomever he chose. And suddenly a bright light flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul. Do I have your attention? Why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. What shall I do, Lord? Get up. Go to Damascus. There you'll be told all you need to know. Now the brilliance of the light that had blinded Paul, so that, or Saul, so that his companions guided him to Damascus. A man named Ananias was sent by God to restore Saul's sight and to give him a new vision, a new understanding of how he would serve the Lord. I believe that God wants to raise up many, many people to be evangelists and followers of Jesus, to be his hands and his feet and his voice in Canmore, in Alberta, across Canada, all over the world. But you can't do it because you haven't discovered who you are and who God is.
you haven't heard God calling in your life. Or perhaps, like Paul, you haven't examined your life closely enough to realize that all the things in your lifestyle, things that you're thinking, things that, that, that you speak, that prevents you from doing what is pleasing to God. You think you're pleasing God, but you're not. And it may be your ego, or it may be your life focus that stops you from putting God first in your life. It may be what you're reading or thinking or following. It may be that there's no room in your mind for God because you fill it with other things. And if you don't find your hope in Christ and Him alone, then you're on the wrong track. Today's texts speak to the reluctant evangelist in all of us. Here's one last story, one of many stories calling, uh, calling of God calling people into service. And this one is the one that we heard earlier from the Gospel of Luke. Most of us have no problem with so at the at the beginning of the story um Jesus Jesus is there on the on the beach and people are gathering around him and most of us have no problems with listening to Jesus as he teaches listening intently to the wonderful theology and the truth that he speaks but when it comes to dropping the nets to fish we often shake our heads no no, I'll do anything but that. Not only can we doubt our abilities to fish, we doubt the fact that Jesus can catch any fish either. There's one word that describes the feelings of all our scripture writers this morning. And it, it, it's what happens at the beginning of their story. And it's futility. There's an overwhelming sense in these texts of seriously being about to give up. And futility is perhaps a feeling that we can all identify with in three years of pandemic with ever-growing cultural conflicts. Many of us are perilously close to giving up on ourselves and on those with whom we disagree. We're starting to believe that change is not really possible. We're starting to believe that our efforts are futile. This is the situation in our scriptures. And this is all too often the situation in our very own lives. Futility is a dangerous place to live. It robs us of hope, of possibility, of faith itself. And that is where Simon Peter is. One early one morning on the Lake of Gennesaret or the Sea of Galilee. And he and his friends have been out all night fishing and they've caught nothing. And there's a man on the beach. His name is Jesus. He's an interesting guy, a lively man. There's an energy about him. And he's talking with those who have come to see what fish they can buy. And, of course, Peter's kind of listening in on the conversation while he's fixing his nets. And by now, he's drawn enough, a big enough crowd that he gets into one of the boats, into the one belonging to Simon. And he asks him to put out a little way from shore. And then he sits down in the boat and he teaches the crowd from the boat. And when he's finished speaking, he turns to Simon and he says, put out into the deep water and let down your net for a catch. 
let that phrase stick in your mind. Jesus said, put out into deep water and let your nets down for a catch. What's the difference between trying to do the same thing and expecting different results? When they got back, when they went back to the same place and they took Jesus with them. Do you see? If you're going back and it's just you going to see why didn't we catch fish, that's futile. But if you go back with Jesus, there's hope in that. When Jesus is with us in our minds, in our hearts, in our conversations, in our disappointment, in our discernment, in our priorities, two things happen. First, we're empowered to go out into the deep water. We're able to take risks to stretch ourselves and, and each other towards something new. And then we can let down our nets and actually find fish. What was once a site of futility becomes a site of abundance, of discovery, of sustenance. The difference is Jesus is there. Be willing to listen to Jesus. Be obedient. As the story continues, Simon answered, Master, we've worked all night long, but we've caught nothing. Nevertheless, if you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so that they both began to sink. The boat begins to sink. <laughs> this is a symbol of you having to leave your old life behind. The boat was the fisherman's primary tool of trade the economic engine of their lives. They needed that boat, and they needed to stay afloat so that they and their families could stay afloat. But I love Simon Peter's reaction. He doesn't see the crisis. He sees the miracle. He sees that Jesus is no ordinary man. So he falls down before Jesus and says, Go away from me, Lord. For I am a sinful man. Before Jesus, these men were just poor, lowly fishermen. When Jesus showed up, the bounty and the abundance that his presence brought into their lives completely overwhelmed their old worldview, their old tools, their old ways of living their lives. Saying yes to Jesus means we have to give up all our most cherished sources of security to find true security and freedom in him. For he, Simon Peter, and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And then Jesus says to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, You'll be catching people. When they had brought their boats to the shore, they left everything and they followed him. Peter and his companions begin this sad story frustrated, afraid. They'd almost lost hope. They didn't believe there were any fish 
out there to catch. And they don't believe that they have what it takes to catch fish. That may be how you feel too. But Jesus says, put out into the deep water. Let your nets down for a catch. And everything changes. The shame-faced group of failed fishermen are courageous new evangelists and followers of Jesus by the end of the story. So ask yourself, where do I find futility in my life? Where do I feel like a failure? Where am I ready to give up? Where in my life am I afraid to even look because I'm afraid of what I'll find? And how do I look at that with Jesus? Where have I lost hope? And then listen to the call of Jesus. Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching people. Simon Peter becomes a man of faith. He's the man who, with one word, canceled hopelessness in the world. When he says, in answer to Jesus' request, that they go out and put their nets down into deeper water, and he says, Lord, we fished all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, nevertheless, the man or woman who encounter who encounter the most stubborn, recalcitrant facts can achieve the paradox of faith, can stand before God and cry, let the world say this or that, let all human wisdom mass its arguments and reasons. Nevertheless, at your word, I will go. I will become a fisher of people. I will become a person, a man, a woman of faith. Give Christ a faith, a faith like that and anything you might find yourself at the center of an undreamt, stupendous miracle. It might even happen today. Let's pray. Lord, we've been your faithful servants up to a point. But we're afraid to put out into deep water. We're afraid to let down our nets. We're afraid to proclaim you to our friends, to our enemies, to, to anybody. Help us, Lord, to see who we are and who you are, to hear what you're calling us to, and then to act, to act courageously. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.